At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I, I love it here. I definitely, uh, I definitely have envisioned myself of, of being a lifelong Met. That's a... That's something I've definitely thought about. Um, and I love I love New York. It's a really special place uh, for uh, my family and I. And I, I've definitely thought of the idea. I've definitely welcomed the idea. But I can't predict the future. Um, and for me, I just want to focus on, on this season. I just want to be the best person I can be. And I've sat back and, and listened I've, and uh, just want to be the, the best player I can be. That's it. Do you anticipate not um... – discussing with him a long-term deal until next offseason or do you was that going to be broached before the season I I think that's probably the most likely outcome we're we're not going to get into the specifics of of any particular negotiation um I'm not going to provide you guys updates uh on our on any conversations that uh exist back and forth but um look when you have a really talented player who's really good who's entering his final year of club control, who happens to be represented by Scott Boris. Um, these things generally end up uh, into free agency. And we understand that. This is an organization that's dealt with that before with really good players, um, and it's ended up in a perfectly fine spot. So, uh, yeah, I have not seen Pete here yet, haven't talked to him here yet. Um, but what we're going to talk about is, look, let's go out and have a great year together. Um, you go out and have a great year um, let's have a great year as a team. And uh, if we do that, we're both going to be set up, the organization and Pete, going to be set up very well um, going into the offseason. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, February 18th, 2024. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. You can get me on X, Talking Mets No G, and on your favorite podcasting service, Apple, Spotify, whatever you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. You can get me... At the newsletter, substack.com slash at no G. And, of course, I want to thank the good folks from the Fansided Podcasting Network for supporting this show. Welcome 
to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Yes, it is finally spring training. There will be baseball games in the next, uh, oh, week or so. It may be cold as hell. There may be snow on the ground here in New York. But the sounds of spring are here. We're kicking it off here at the Talking Mets podcast. No more hot stove Talking Mets podcast editions. It is fully the grapefruit roundup season, even though there's still a bunch of players looking for jobs, and we'll get to that. Is there an opportunity for the Mets to be opportunistic? We'll talk about that. We'll get into what I'll be looking at this spring, three or four or five things to watch this spring. The Mets roster a little bit more set than you think, and I think that's a little bit of a surprise. We're truly in a getting-to-know-you phase with the organization, the manager, the president of baseball operations, some of the baby Mets, some of the kids that are going to be joining the Mets potentially this uh, upcoming season. New free agents, maybe short-term members of the organization. So a lot to get to know. And we're going to kick it off right now with the big topic of the week, what probably shouldn't be a surprise, but became a little bit of a, not a controversy, but a story and created a lot of agitation and conversation on social media. But that's the status of Pete Alonzo, and that's where we'll start as, uh, you know, three-part edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Get a lot to talk about our annual Kicking It Off Pitchers and Catchers show. So let's start with Pete Alonzo, and I was glad that I took a little bit of time to come to you because I was looking to maybe pop in and, and like everybody else, getting their comments on the first day of spring, hearing from Stearns, hearing from manager Carlos Mendoza, Obviously, from hearing from a number of the players, including Francisco Lindor. And with the world we're in now, and obviously I jumped in with the newsletter, which, by the way, if you're not a subscriber, get on board. Great stuff to come. Substack.com slash at Talk at Mets. No G. $5 a month. Less than a cup of coffee at some of your favorite uh, coffee shops. And, you know, the, the temptation is always to jump in and and make commentary and create content. And the thing I always want to remember, even with the newsletter, even with some of the in-between-the-shows commentary that is more reactionary, I want this program to be about listening, observing, analyzing, taking a step back, and providing a very balanced view. Even if the view is not what you like, it's balanced and it takes in all the ideas that are out there, as well as putting a, a good dose of reality into the roster, the business of the team, and where the team is at. So when I first saw Stearns' comments, and you heard them coming in about Alonzo, about how Scott Boris' clients go to free agency, and really, because of the way the offseason went, the Mets not signing Yamamoto, the Mets not really showing interest in anybody other than Yamamoto that was a significant free agent, uh, you know, look, it was a predictable response. You've heard it on talk radio. Stearns is bringing Milwaukee to New York. He's cheap. He's clueless. He's in over his head. Uh, Cohen is now the new Wilpons, which is the most laughable of everything. And, you know, maybe this is the loud minority of the fan base, the fan base that still likes to yell and scream and and, and be toxic and negative. And I, and I think there's I think they have a lot of power with the way they sway opinion, and I think they're a bad influence on the overall experience of watching the Mets, but they're fans, and some of them may be listening to this program, and if they are, we appreciate it. And I understand that frustration, but you were just not necessarily looking at the tea leaves here, 
and seeing where the Mets were financially, the impact of going all in with Scherzer and then Verlander, and where that has left them financially, where they'll be, and I think that will be really the test in about a year, and that aligns well with Alonzo, with how the payroll is going to be a little bit more flexible a year from now. And not just Alonzo, but there'll be other big-name free agents on both the pitching and the offensive side available. So understanding how Stearns has taken over this organization and not looking to just you know, dump another big contract on the on the rolls here. You have Lindor signed for a while. You're still paying Sir Scherzer and Verlander. And, uh, you know, trying to see what you have, it's not a surprising comment. Now, you heard Pete Alonzo yesterday, and what's interesting to me is everybody likes to parse through these press conference words and... You know, Pete didn't say he wanted to be a Met for life. He gave you all the, the, the pat answers, and of course he did. I mean, he, first of all, he's employed by the Mets. He's employed for another year, and nobody, you know, Pete's a smart guy. Nobody's going to take away leverage and say, look, Mets give me whatever I want. You know, I'll sign it tomorrow. He's not going to say that. I, I think where you start with the Pete Alonzo conversation, because that is where the spring started, and I think it's going to be a theme, especially if he has an MVP-type year, on and on and on and on. I obviously, depending on where the team is at the deadline, whether they're in it or out of it, because as, as Stearns has shown in the past, he just did it a couple of years ago with Milwaukee. He's willing to make a bold move like he did with Josh Hader that puts the future in the equation as well as the present. Uh, we'll see if he's bold enough to do something like that with this organization in this city, with this media market, with this fan base, you know, with Pete saying they're maybe they're in the race and he gets a, an offer he couldn't refuse. You know, does he make something like that? I find that hard to believe. But look, it'll be interesting around the deadline where this goes. And then next offseason, when the offseason kicks off, whether the Mets win, lose, or are indifferent, uh, Pete is going to be the big story at, at the, the center of the offseason. The biggest free agent the Mets have had uh, since Jacob deGrom uh, went on the market. We know how that went. And, and remember, throughout that 2022 campaign, which a large percentage of it, deGrom was injured, so he was out of sight, out of mind until August. There was talk about how, you know, Jake didn't want to be here. You know, you heard about the Rangers in Texas and the the politics of New York, the taxes of New York. All these things came up. And uh, John Heyman, who's already uh, jumped in on the Alonzo free agency, was one of the first out there saying, you know, the Grom doesn't want to be here. Uh, so you might see some of that on a on a larger scale because Pete is healthy. Knock on a lot of wood. You hear me there in the background. Uh, you know, Pete's an everyday player. And, of course, if he has a big year, every time, you know, something big happens at City Field. I, I think of it like, you know, when Daryl Strawberry was a free agent after the 1990 season. Throughout 1990, there was the pay the man signs, uh, you know, going back in a little bit of history. And maybe, you know, and it's fair to say, Pete is the best power prospect, prolific power prospect that the Mets have had since Strawberry. Now, not the most complete player. David Wright was more complete. Jose Reyes was more complete. And they've imported more complete players like Carlos Beltran. But as far as a homegrown talent, uh, you know, Wright, Wright never made it to free agency. And look at, and I'll bring up Wright in a minute because that that plays into the decisions you have to make with Pete. Um, you know, this is the biggest free agent the Mets have had in quite some time in Stern's first year. And it's polarizing because he's a likable guy. He's a guy that's connected with the fans. And he's a guy that does something that very few people can do, which is hit 450-foot home runs and wreck games and bring you back into the games with one swing of the bat. 
Now, I'm, I've been the biggest critic of general managers or president of baseball operations types that come to organizations, uh, use a lot of fantasy baseball and, and, and you know methodologies and very smart guys, use a lot of GM speak and you know try to tell you that what you see is not what you see, that there's all this special brew in the background telling you how they're building this organization. They collect and hoard uh, prospects like a Ty Cobb uh, you know, baseball card from the turn of the century. And every year, it's losing, 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 losing. And there's the promise of, well, we'll be on schedule then. You know, we're, we're, not, we're close. And in the interim, while you're losing, look at where the Orioles are now, obviously in a better place, but it's rough while you're losing. Nobody's going to go to the ballpark while you're rebuilding to, you know, sit in the stands and talk about some kid in low A and how he could be the next star in five years or six years. Nobody's going to go to the ballpark and spend hard-earned money while you're rebuilding to watch bad baseball. They're going to say, hey, call me when you're ready. And a lot of times with these organizations, it's financially prudent to just continue to go on and on and on with the rebuild and, and tease the hardcore fans about, well, this is a good thing. So they stay engaged. They stay engaged in other methods. Maybe they don't go to the ballpark in droves. I don't think David Stearns, but you know, I don't think David Stearns is doing that. And I think that's where a lot of media types are going, typically on talk radio. I think the writers are a little bit more educated who are in the weeds with the the way baseball works. And I think Pete Alonso, and starting off the spring with Pete Alonso, on the heels of what transpired this offseason with the lack of big name moves, with the losing of the Yamamoto sweepstakes, this is an easy criticism of Stearns. I mean, I'll say this. Stearns has a lot of cojones. And I could say that on a family show. He easily, and maybe he wouldn't have gotten the job if he pitched Cohen on this. He easily has an owner that if he went to him and said, I just want to spend like we've been spending. Let's go out. You know, don't worry about the farm system. Let's sign a Bellinger. Let's sign a Blake Snell. Uh, let's pivot to an Aaron Nola, you know, even before the Yamamoto sweepstakes. Give Jordan Montgomery whatever he wants. You know, everybody would be applauding him. But instead, he said, hey, let's look at the big picture here. We got some good bones on this team. You know, we have to be financially responsible. Remember the one of the first things that Sandy Alderson, when he took over for Steve, uh, when Steve Cohen took over as owner, he said one of the, the, the biggest challenges for an organization with limitless resources is how do you deploy those responsibly because you don't want to turn limitless to something else. And look, Cohen doesn't want to pay 110% tax for the rest of his life. I know what you're saying. Yeah, the guy's rich. He's worth $17 billion. Maybe you saw the GameStop movie and you're like, oh, look, that guy, you know, he could, you know, he could drop money on the sidewalk and not, not think about it. And that may be true. But nobody wants to lose $200 million a year. It's not good business to do that. And at some point, you have to ask, can the Mets be a wild card team? Because let's face it, the Braves as an organization, where they're at, how they've built this team, how they've won, not only a championship, but consistently won despite some postseason uh, disappointments are, you know, going to be tough to win the division on. So you have to kind of play the long game here, play it where you're like, let's get into the tournament. Because by the way, the Braves won a title when they were kind of a tournament team, not a favorite a couple of years ago. And since they've been the favorite going into the tournament, the postseason, they've lost and they've lost in very disappointing ways. So I really don't think that it has anything to do with the Pete Alonso situation. And I really don't understand the surprise of where the Mets are at with Alonzo. The time to lock Alonzo up, if you wanted to do something long-term, 
was probably right after COVID, right around, maybe maybe right after his rookie season. You still had Wilpon ownership. The team was in flux with the uh, Cohen purchase, which was not Cohen, then Cohen, and all that other stuff. You had COVID and the loss of revenue from no fans of the stands. That played into it. And you had all this transition. You had Alderson. You had Epler. You had Jared Porter. You had Zach Scott. You had, you know, search for president of baseball operations. Like, the Mets were not in a position up until this point. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Because Cohen's trying to figure out what his organization structure will be to really be making a lot of long-term decisions. Honestly, Lindor, who I criticize, and, and, and I've been wrong, it was bad to give that guy a 10-year deal coming over from Cleveland when you traded him. I know you traded... Uh, you know, a top prospect in uh, Jimenez and a very solid player in Rosario. But, you know, I said, hey, let it play out. And even think about David Wright. You know, here we are. We love David. But his his contract was a bad one. Now, it was unthinkable. And I was one of those guys, too. I did not want to see. I don't want to see them let Reyes walk. I don't want to see. I, I said, you know, you these are homegrown guys. There's a, an emotional attachment. I know that Wright had been more successful up to that point than Reyes, but Wright was coming off, uh, you know, an injured year in 2011 when he signed a contract the following year. He had a couple of good years, you know, after he signed the contract, you know, a lot of injuries. You wouldn't have known that if you had just waited a little bit, you know, maybe, you know, he would have gone on the open market. Obviously, the price could have went up, but but maybe you could have had a different approach if you had waited another year and known a little bit more about what Wright's medical condition was. Maybe they knew about it at that point, and they didn't care. But, I mean, it wasn't like on 2015 he woke up and he had stenosis. That was developing, and I think it developed from when he got injured in 2011. So you gave Wright that long-term contract. It made a ton of sense at the age of 28, 29 to give him a long-term deal. But let's face it, it was dead money for 90% of the time. And I think that's why you have to measure twice and cut once with these large contracts. Pete Alonso... When he hired Scott Boris, you already set the the stage in motion to get a record deal and for Boris to market him as something potentially more than he is. Look, we know who Pete is. Great run producer, great power hitter, worked really hard to be average to maybe a little bit above average depending on what your eyes say at first base. Emotional leader of the team. Like I said, a guy that could wreck a ball game and could change things with one swing of bat. But Pete has yet to prove that he could be Freddie Freeman or even Paul Goldschmidt. He's more like Paul Konerko. And that's not a bad place to be. But as he gets deeper and deeper into his 30s, you don't want him to turn into Richie Sexton. Remember Richie Sexton? And we wrote about this over at Beyond the Mic earlier in the offseason with Pete where Right-handed hitters, the minute that he ages, or God forbid, you know, he's been used as a pin cushion. Hitters, you know, pitchers coming inside, whether you'll, you know, forget about the, the, the retaliation conversation. With the lack of sticky stuff now, 
a lot of guys throwing hard who really don't know where they go, where it's going. I mean, the fact that he's only missed 20-something games, uh, you know, in his career, they're taking COVID out or something like that, since COVID maybe, is amazing because he's had some gnarly hit-by-pitches on his wrist. I mean, I think you Darvish has hit him a couple of times and nearly broken his wrist a couple of times. What is it, you know, a slider that got away. And that's an elite pitcher that knows what he's doing. So, you know, when you sign Pete, he's not going to be like, everybody laughed when I said he's going to get $30 million a year. Pete's not signing for anything less than $30 million a year. He's not. He's not at all. And now, here's where this is going. And it's been going like this for a while. That's why I don't see it as being even remotely realistic for these two sides to make a deal. Because why would Pete take anything now unless it's exactly at the top of the of what the market would bear? Competition is going to make things interesting. When Mark Teixeira and Prince Fielder are rumored anyway where Boris would like to take the Alonzo negotiations. Because those guys, when they landed on their contracts, and I know those 15 years ago for Teixeira and well over a decade for Prince Fielder, but they were paid like top five players in the game because they provided something back then, which was a little bit more in demand, which is with Fielder elite power, similar to Alonzo, and with Teixeira, a combination of defense and power. I mean, Teixeira was a game changer for the Yankees. Uh, I know, you know, that was the debate when they won the World Series in 09. I remember having that debate, Maurer is the MVP versus Teixeira. Teixeira, I believe, changed the dynamic of that Yankees team with what he brought. Um, you know, does Pete do that? We could debate and argue that. But if you talk, think about that, you think about that kind of comparison where Boris is taking him, Pete's not only going to get $30 million a year. Pete's looking for $35 million a year. He's looking to be with Rendon and Lindor and Correa and Sager and Arenado. That's where he's looking to be in the top 10 of pay. He doesn't want to be down by where uh, Matt Olson is. He doesn't want to be with a good contract like Freddie Freeman signed. He's looking bigger than that. This thing could go to seven, eight years, 240 $250 million. Maybe with options, it brings it to a decade. And look, Albert Pujols' contract aged poorly. Prince Fielder's contract aged poorly. Teixeira's contract towards the end aged poorly. Not as bad, but these contracts will be bad. These players do get one-dimensional towards the end. And when you're paying them big money to be one-dimensional, a DH, or like Pujols became a bench player, that locks up payrolls down the road. And God forbid they go off the cliff like a right because of an injury, a Prince Fielder, you know, Richie Sexton who just couldn't produce. You got yourself a problem. You got yourself not a one-year Scherzer, Verlander, Albatross, or, a, you know, a year and change of Cano and things like that. You have a lot more of what you had with Cano, dead money. Now, you could argue and say, well, you know, Cohen and, and the money, not it always has, has, has ramifications. And people are getting mad because they see that Cohen is investing in the in the real estate and the casino around the ballpark. That was what this always was about. It wasn't just about the Mets. It was about creating around that area in a bigger way. You don't think his approval when there was a debate with the de Blasios of the world, the politicians, about whether this guy should be allowed based on his history, based on the fact that we now hate anybody who makes any kind of money. You know, we, 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 we begrudge them and we want to tar and feather them. You don't think that some of the, the things that he talked about 
with the league and with the commissioner and with the politicians and the stakeholders was like, hey, I'm going to put back into this community, this diverse community around the ballpark. I'm not just here to sign Pete Alonso and, and, and put a championship team out there. That's the, the, the core and the hub of it. There, so, so the bottom line is this. There's a lot at play here. A lot at play for Alonzo. Makes no sense for him to sign early unless he's overpaid. And who knows? You know, no one's going to do that. That would be bad negotiation. Okay, there's tons of clickbait for the media. This is going to be a story that talk radio could do at any point in time. Snap. Pete goes 4-4 four for four with a couple of home runs. The Mets win a game in May. Talk radio is going to talk about pay the man. Don't be surprised. You see this, the signs come back from the strawberry days. Pay the man. Pay the man. You know, and you're going to get emotional. There's going to be weekends where he has big series somewhere and you're going to love every bit of it and you're going to be like, they need to sign him now. It's not going to happen. And it doesn't mean if he, if he, when he, when he files for free agency that he's leaving. I read Heyman's column and Heyman, we all know, has a pretty good pipeline to Boris. And Boris is going to use the media because he's a smart guy and he's successful to his advantage. And you don't think the Cubs rumors that have been floating around for God knows how long, part of that has Boris smiling and throwing him out there too? Who knows? You know, if you're Pete, you go out there and the Cubs offer you $40 million a year for, you know, six or seven or eight years. I mean, geez. They say Wrigley Field, you know, whatever. And Mets got to think about that. You know, somebody could go and do something stupid here. Let's not also... Forget that there's another big name offensive player on the market that maybe they want to participate in that uh, sweepstakes in Juan Soto, who pretty much across town said the same thing. I'm not signing. I'm going to go to free agency. Boris client. Nobody's talking about that. Because of the Yankees. The Yankees will figure it out. Well, maybe they did what Aaron Judge. I mean, Aaron Judge went to free agency. Mr. Yankee. Derek Jeter later in his career went to free agency. This, you can't be afraid of free agency as Mets fans. Under the Wilpons, especially post-Madoff, especially towards the end of uh, uh, their tenure, yeah, it was kind of like, you know, hey, I can't get into the bidding. My cash flow is wonky. I don't know what I have to spend day in and day out, so budgets are moving. You can't get involved in bidding wars. Either you lock them up with cost certainty or you let them walk. See Zach Wheeler. And nobody knows what's going to happen. And to spend the entire season of 2024 speculating is exhausting. Now, they get off to a bad start, or if they're out of the race, shoosh, the talk about trades is going to be like wildfire. Like wildfire. And then the debate will be, do you take the draft pick if he doesn't come back, or do you take the assets you get? That's not for today. But, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is, this situation is business. It's not an indictment on Cohen. It's not an indictment on Stearns because neither of those guys were around when probably you should have thought about, you know, and people forget Pete spends another two weeks in the minors in in April. He's their property another year. They didn't do that. They've been good to Pete Alonso. They did the right thing. Brody Van Wagenen did the right thing back in April of 2019. You cannot look at where the franchise has been the last four or five years and not connected to where the Pete Alonso situation is, and not understand why this was inevitably going to happen. I'm sure at some point they floated to maybe his prior agent before Boris talking about it. They did it with Jeff McNeil, and, you know, Pete's not interested. Just because he said they haven't talked to him, that's a negotiating tactic conversation. Now he just threw it out there publicly 
back on the organization. It's not stupid. He's got a sharp agent that's that's coaching him. You don't think what Pete says in those that press conference yesterday was calculated? Of course it was. You know, Stearns has been nothing but honest, guys. Nothing but honest. You know, you don't you not like what he says, but he tells you, you know, yes, he says a little bit of GM speak. That's who he is. But he said, Boris Klein's go to free agency. It's probably where it's going. We're not afraid of playing in that uh, end of the pool. Talk to me in October. Let's let's talk about 2024. It's going to be a lot. And every single writer and, and talking head is going to use this as a weapon to whip you guys up, to whip you into calling talk radio, to whip you onto clicking on links. And I'm telling you, just don't waste your time. We talked about it. Stearns had his say. Pete had his say. You heard the clips coming in. That's it. And you know what? Very well, and this might be a theme, and we'll talk about this way down the road. This might be similar to the Grom in the sense where the Mets might have to sit down and say, do I want Soto at 26, elite offensive player, uh, outfielder, maybe profiles as his body changes as a DH later in his career, or do I want the power homegrown run producer? Because Soto's a better overall player, better overall offensive player. And by the way, for Pete to get paid like Teixeira, and, you know, Prince Fielder, I think he's much more similar to. But, like, let's say, like, Teixeira, who is a more complete all-around player, uh, he's got to do more of what he did in 2022, which is hit the ball the other way, drive in runs, be a more complete hitter. I mean, you know 20% of his hits are going to be home runs. But he doesn't, he's not a doubles machine, Alonzo. You know, he's basically a guy, if you look at his numbers, he hits home runs and he hits singles. He's not a doubles machine. Now, some of that could be his his doubles go over the fence. But remember, you know, he wasn't the same hitter last year that went the other way as much and drove him runs and was trying to be a more complete offensive player. He's evolved as an offensive player since his rookie year, no doubt. But I didn't see the same 2022 Pete Alonso last year, the one that I think that version, that's the version I said, is that is he heading towards Paul Goldschmidt territory? Now, I don't think he could hit 300, but 45 home runs, 220, 230, 240, and 100 ribeye stakes, to quote Keith Hernandez, is a lot different than Freddie Freeman, is a lot different than Mark Teixeira, is a lot different than Paul Goldschmidt. It really is. And you know what? He's probably more comparable to Matt Olson. He doesn't want to get paid like that. So, so that's, you know, this is the last I want to talk about, Pete. I'm, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that we're here on the first week of spring training talking about it. But I wanted to kick off this show. We're going to take a quick break now. And when I come back, David Stearns has talked about being opportunistic. We've talked about him being opportunistic as the offseason went by. But now we're in spring training. And there are decent players sitting out there without a job. It's February 18th. We're past Valentine's Day. St. Patty's Day is closer than ever before. March 1st is around the corner. Spring games are a week away. Is there a chance for the Mets to pluck somebody to help them on a short-term deal to get into the playoffs and win and make an impact? Be opportunistic? We'll talk about that and more right after this. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, 
everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.